We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning and for the next few weeks. John Bloom said this, the real Christmas was nothing like the Christmases we've come to know with its traditions, memories, and legends. It was a desperate moment that occurred for a desperate reason. It was a desperate moment that occurred for a desperate reason. This morning, we've already heard the reading of a 2,700-year-old birth announcement, a birth that had to happen in a desperate world if humanity would ever know rescue from and peace with its creator and judge and have the the privilege of coming into the joy of knowing God as Father. Unlike any other birth announcement you may have received, this one came 700 years before the birth, not a few days after the birth as is normal, right? And this birth was a royal birth. The baby, as we've already heard read, was assigned four different names that can only belong to God Himself. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Over the course of the four Sundays of Advent 2018, we're going to consider these four names to better understand what child is this. That We're just going to use that hymn, Joe, that title from that good old uh, Christmas carol uh, as our title for this series. What child is this? We're going to be looking particularly at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is part one of that. This morning, I want you to understand Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. The text says wonderful counselor is the name that he should be given. That's his title, wonderful counselor. In the Hebrew, literally, you could translate this, a wonder of a counselor. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. Verses 6 and 7, we're going to read those verses again. For to us, a child is born. To us, there is some emphasis there in the original language as well. To us, A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to how this king will will rule. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This birth announcement came 700 years before Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary in a little out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. But it was the zeal of the Lord who gave the prophecy 700 years earlier who saw to it that on that night... Jesus came, a child was born, a son was indeed given, and Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. Jesus alone, here's the take-home truth, gives counsel full of life-transforming, eternity-changing wisdom. 
All through the book of Isaiah, we hear this about the Messiah. In Isaiah 11, verses 1 1 and 2, we're told, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is speaking about Jesus. And of him it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. The Lord. This is Jesus, a wonder of a counselor. And Jesus is full of life transforming, eternity changing counsel for you and for me today. Isaiah 28, verse 29 says of Christ, He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. He is a wonder of a counselor. Paul would put it this way over in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, and because of him that is God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus today, if you're a Christian here today, it's because of the Father and his work in your life. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who, speaking of Jesus, who became to us, hear it, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor, and he brings wisdom that is, that is life-transforming and eternity-changing. He brings to us the wisdom of God that is described in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, if that's true, it's particularly critical that we have someone to bridge that gap. Amen? If the ways of God, the thoughts of God are so much higher than our ways, how can we ever connect with this God and get on the same page with him? He's given us the Messiah. He sent Jesus to be wonderful counselor a wonder of a counselor, to bring to you and me the very thoughts and ways of God incarnate. And in the truth and message of the gospel, through his life, death, and resurrection. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul says it this way, speaking of Jesus, God's mystery, which is Christ. The mystery of God is Jesus himself. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, when Paul says that, I want you to understand something. He means what he says. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In this universe, all the wisdom and knowledge that you actually need for eternity are found in a person, and his name is Jesus. He is a wonder of a counselor. You say, Chad, really? Everything, everything that you absolutely need, everything anyone has ever needed ultimately is found in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of other things you might know that, 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 that can be helpful. There's knowledge, but, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, by the way, just know this, Jesus is the one who, who upholds all things by the word of his power. So the bottom line is you couldn't, let me just help you with the science of that. What that means is if he didn't give you your next breath, your brain couldn't work so as to know something other than Jesus that gets you through your day-to-day life. Y'all all all right? Y'all understand what I'm saying? He's all you need to know because he gives you breath to know anything. He gives you life. He gives you mental function to live and move 
It's in him, Paul said, that we have our being. Jesus alone gives counsel full of life-transforming, eternity-changing wisdom. By the way, in that little opening, I wanted to whet your appetite for Isaiah. Do you hear how much Jesus is already in Isaiah? We've gone to four or five different passages, and he's everywhere in the book of Isaiah. Take time to read through those readings this month, if you will. Our wonderful counselor gives us three key pieces of advice. He gives us a whole lot more than that. But we're just going to talk about three this morning. Our wonderful counselor, our wonder of a counselor, gives us three key pieces of advice. I want you to see these three pieces of advice this morning. First of all, he tells us of the necessity of a relationship with him. If you turn over to to John chapter 18, you'll see on the screen, verse 37, Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate said to him, "So so, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. He's telling us the purpose of Christmas right here, isn't he? I mean, what's Christmas all about? What's Advent all about? It's about his birth. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And sadly, Pilate never understood the truth that Jesus came to communicate specifically the necessity of a relationship with him. If there was one thing Jesus came to make clear, it was that you have to have a relationship with Jesus to know the Father. In John 3.16, he put it this way. 3.16 through 18. Very familiar passage, but don't miss it. The necessity of a relationship with Jesus. For God so loved the world. Here's reality. Here's truth. That he gave his only son. When? One wintry night there in Bethlehem through a virgin named Mary. And then later on the cross, as he hung and died for our sins, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In another place, Jesus would say of eternal life, he would say, what is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing the Father. It's having a relationship with God. And this ver- these verses make it clear the only way to have a relationship with God the Father is having a relationship with Jesus, His Son. He, Jesus, His Son, and, o- and the only Savior. The necessity of having a relationship with Him. That's the first piece of advice Jesus gives. Know me. Trust me. Over in 1 John, John says it this way, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That doesn't mean you can't live and breathe here on planet Earth. It means you'll, you, you, you can't have eternal life. You can't have spiritual life. You can't have everlasting life. You can't know God the Father without having the Son. Because Jesus is the only Savior from God, we must have a love relationship with Him by simple faith, simple trust, in all that he's done for us. And so I just want to ask you at the beginning of this message, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus this Advent season? You see, it's not just about going through all the motions of the season. Do you know him today? 
our wonder of a counselor, the most wonderful counselor there's ever been, the one who, in whom all wisdom and understanding is embodied and lives, says to you this morning, it's necessary. You have to have a relationship with me. Will you trust that wise one? Will you hear that wisdom? Will you believe that you are a sinner today in need of a Savior? Will you believe that God is holy and you are not? And yet that holy God gave his own son to come and die on the cross that you might not be condemned, but rather you might be forgiven and even declared positively righteous, even as righteous as Jesus is by simple faith in him. Will you believe that wisdom, that wisdom of the gospel that we've been talking about in the book of Romans? Will you believe that this morning? And if you'll believe that, will you trust Jesus personally as your only hope? the necessity of having a relationship with him. Jesus alone gives counsel full of life-transforming, eternity-changing wisdom. And when you meet him and come into relationship with Jesus, it changes your life and your eternity. Where are you today? Man, I tell you, there's nothing we as a church would love to see any more than one of you come to Jesus at the beginning of this Advent season. As we celebrate his first coming and anticipate his second coming. As we think about all that he came to do. And it all started in a, in a, in a, in a feeding trough in, in, in a cave in Bethlehem. Just to think that that baby would grow to be our Savior and hang on a cross for us and rise the third day to be our living today, our living Savior. And one day he's coming back. Man, if you could connect with that, you'll have a Christmas like you've never had. Won't you trust him today? The second thing I want you to see, the second piece of advice from our wonder of a counselor is the nature. That is the cost of a relationship with him. You do need to get this. Before you answer the, the call, the invitation I just gave you, you do need to understand the nature of a relationship with Jesus. You do need to understand the cost of a relationship with him. For it was Jesus himself who said, if anyone would come after me in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus said, you've got to be willing to lay it all down to follow me. You've got to be willing to put all your ambition, all your dreams for this life down and say, more important than any of that is that I have a personal relationship with you. And I'm counting the cost. I'm agreeing that the nature of a relationship with you is that every day I have to die to myself, take up my cross, and follow you. I have to say that I'm no longer the master of my own universe, but I come and I've entered into a relationship with not just the Savior of the world, but the Lord of all things, the master, the boss, the commander of the universe the one who holds the stars in place, I'm coming under his rule and reign in my everyday personal life. This is what it means to follow him, Jesus said. In Luke chapter 14, we, we, we read this and we hear, the, we hear from Jesus here. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to, to them. This is an interesting way to deal with great crowds. There's preachers that ought to try this that have great crowds 
Listen to what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Just want to let you guys know. I appreciate y'all being around, but here's the deal. If you don't hate your whole family, your whole life, you can't follow me. You're, like, you're, just, you're out for a walk. You're not following me. I wonder what that did to the crowd. I wonder how many turned back in that moment before he even spoke the rest of the passage. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Skipping down to verse 33, he says a bunch more in the interim here, but summarizing in verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, here's the deal. I don't just... I'm not a genie in a bottle. You need salvation. You rub the lamp of prayer. You kind of have this little, you know, you say the sinner's prayer deal. You get salvation from me. You get what you need from me. And then you go back to running your own life. That's not who I am, Jesus said. If you don't renounce all that you have, if you don't, by comparison, hate your whole earthly family and all your earthly ambition, everything about your life here you can't follow me because I'm not just a genie that gives you a gift that you desperately need. I am Lord of all. I don't have a split personality, Jesus says. Sometimes we live that way, don't we? Sometimes we live as if we had a split personality. We do Jesus over here and the rest of life over here. Jesus said, that's not me You're just doing religion with my name on it, but you're not doing a relationship with me because I'm a holistic person. I'm a a holistic Savior. I am King and Savior. You say, Chad, this is where you go back and water it down and and explain how what Jesus said he really didn't mean and it's really not as hard as why. When Jesus was here looking at people, saying those words to people, he didn't stop and give a commentary. I don't really mean that you don't, that you have to hate your mother and father. (laughs) So why don't we just let Jesus' words hang in the air and let the Spirit of God sort it out? Y'all okay with that? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul takes the teaching of Jesus, and here's how he says it to us. For the love of Christ controls us. Paul says, when I realize how much Jesus loves me, The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Listen to this. Why did Jesus die for you on the cross? To give you eternal life, yes, but there's more. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died to set you free from your sins, but hear me, he did not die to set you free from his rule. He died to enslave you to the most joyful slavery that's ever been. The, the, the in-working and, and, and out-working of the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus living in you, guiding, directing, empowering your life of obedience to Him. And here's the deal. The Spirit of God in you directs your life according to the owner's manual. Are you with me? He, he moves you to live the way you're created to live, to your, to your, to, to the, to, to, to your highest capacity. 
We're never more human in the truest sense than when we are in step with the, with the law of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. Amen? The point is, we're at our best. Life is at its best when we're doing the will of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died to set you free from yourself and enslave you to his spirit so that you could be free for where the spirit of the Lord is, Paul says in another place, what? There is freedom. There is freedom. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says to the Corinthian church, they had, they had a bunch of sexual immorality going on, and he says, do you not know that your body Even your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You, listen to these words, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We talked about redemption last week, right? We talked about that from Romans. We talked about what that means. We talked about how God, through the blood and the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, how, how God bought us off the slave block of sin and in so doing became our master. We're not our own. We have been bought. We are owned. Here's the deal. You take salvation from Jesus. You take grace and forgiveness from Jesus. You take righteousness from Jesus so that you can stand just before a holy God, then here's the deal. You have accepted the payment he's made to own you. Everybody see this in the text? I mean, y'all understand I'm not not making this up, right? Y'all with me? It's right there. Christmas is about Jesus coming to give us the gift of salvation, but it's about Jesus coming to buy us as his own, to purchase us and make us his own. Jesus put it all this way in John 14, verse 21, when he said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, to know Jesus as Savior is to surrender our lives to his command. He is Lord. To trust Jesus means that we live to obey him. It's like the old hymn says, trust And obey, for there's no other way to be saved and to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Jesus alone gives counsel full of life-transforming, eternity-changing wisdom. He tells us of the necessity of a relationship with Him. He tells us of the nature, the cost of a relationship with Him. He gets the reins. He takes the wheel not just in, in, in the country music sense. He takes your life's direction. He runs you. He becomes the boss of you. However you want to say it so you get it, say it and get it. The necessity and the nature of a relationship. But thirdly, notice the nurture, the growth of a relationship with him. In John 10, verses 10 and 11, Jesus says... Here's the way it works. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Speaking of the the enemy there, that's that's all the enemy will ever do for you. Sin looks so good. The ways of the world look so productive and and, and effective. and, and, And the ways of the world look so promising and pleasurable. All they'll really ever do is steal and kill and destroy. 
Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The nurture, the growth of a relationship with him. Jesus said, I came that you would have real life. You need a relationship with me. You need to understand it's going to cost you something. I take control of your life, but here's what I want you to understand. That is life abundant. That is the best possible existence on planet earth is to be redeemed and owned by Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1 verses 2 through 4, the close disciple of the Lord Jesus said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What's Peter saying in all those words? He's saying very simply this, the way you nurture your relationship with Jesus, the way you grow into that abundant life for which Jesus saved you is through the very great and precious promises that he's given us in the Word of God. How do you nurture your relationship with Jesus? Once you have it, once you understand the cost and you're willing to pay it, once you've entered into that personal relationship with Jesus, how do you grow in your relationship with him? How do you get closer to Jesus? How do you make sure that, that, the, that the connection, the communication is clear and that, you, that you're hearing the voice of his spirit so that you can make those daily and very practical decisions in life? It is only through the word of the living God. And in this book, you'll find very great and precious promises. Promises that are meant to give you a greater knowledge of Jesus. And in that knowledge is all the grace and peace that you need. In that knowledge is what you need to, to, to become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? That means living in the power of the Holy Spirit like we were talking about a while ago. It's through a, a, a daily personal relationship with God, with Jesus, through His Word. What's, what does that mean? Practically, it means you have to have a time Day in and day out, not in a legalistic way, but in a, in, in, a, in a you'll starve spiritually way if you don't. You have to have a time when you sit down and open this book and put your eyes on the words and read it and with your mind think through the Word of God and with your heart digest the truth. And, and, and in prayer, as, as God speaks to you through the words written on the pages of the Bible, you, you, in, in prayer you respond to him and you say, God, I need that in my life. I need you to do that in my life. I believe you to do this in my life. What you've promised, I, I, I believe it's for me, God. And I pray that you'll help me in this moment of temptation that I know will come tomorrow. I pray that you'll help me to live in your power according to your word and walk through that in victory and obedience. It's that practical. You say, Chad, I don't have time for that. You don't have time not to have time for that. George Mueller said his greatest business every day was to get his soul happy in God and satisfied in God before he did anything else. Martin Luther said, I got I to spend about four hours in prayer and in the, in the word of God before I can even see the, the face of a man. 
I can't even interact with people unless I get where I need to be with God, unless I'm, I'm feeding on his word, unless I'm taking those very great and precious promises through my reading and study of the word of God and in prayer get to the place where I, I, I'm ready to, 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 by the power of the spirit, live those things out. Now, you may not have four hours a day, but I'll guarantee you one thing, you got more time than you think you got. It may, it may mean you skip some sleep. It may mean you, set, mean you set the alarm an hour earlier, 30 minutes earlier, whatever it is. You will starve to death. You cannot grow. Your, your relationship will not be nurtured with Jesus apart from this precious book. Jesus said simply in John 17, verse 17, as he prayed to us, uh, for us to the Father, he said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. What makes us holy? The truth. What changes us and makes us more like Jesus? The truth. And then he makes it real plain so nobody misses it. Your word, the Bible, is truth. Your word is truth. You know, professing Christians that take the Scriptures lightly, that, that don't believe that this book is the, live, is the written word of God inspired by the Spirit of God, it's just this thing's a real problem. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Where, where, where do we find... If it's not here, where do we get the word that sanctifies us that's the truth? Like, where do we, where do we dig that up at? Where do we go to plug in and, and, you know, get tanked up on that? Like, where? You just go sit down under a tree and pray and hope something zaps you. From, I, mean, I mean, come on. God is not that kind of God. He has given us his truth. He's given us his word. This afternoon, Rick Holcomb's going to be burying his wife, Gwen. And I was talking to Rick yesterday at the funeral home. And uh, Gwen was a pretty private person. And she, if you haven't heard this, she died suddenly of a heart attack this week. And she's real quiet. She didn't have a whole lot to say. Um, but Rick said, you know, my Bible's worn out. But Gwen's Bible... Is really worn out. She nurtured a relationship with the Lord through the Word of God. Here's the thing there's no other way. You know, we all think, we all think we're special, don't we? Let's just talk. You know, and, and mom and dad, you, you've heard it. You've heard it. I mean, if you've got more than one kid, especially, but I mean, all you've got to have is one. And all you've got to do, if you don't have kids, all you got to do is just look at a kid, talk to a kid for a minute. I mean, they're different, right? It's, for me, it's, it's different. I understand how it works with everybody else, but, but I'm different. You try that junk with Jesus, it don't work. You're not different. You have to study the Bible for yourself. That's more than Sunday school. That's more than listening to the preacher. You have to get yours out on Tuesday and read it. If you're going to nurture your relationship with Jesus, that's just the way it is. Advent's a great time. I've given you a reading plan. Just, just take the, the, the 20 minutes maybe that it would take for you to read those chapters in Isaiah. And here's the thing. If you read some of that stuff, you're like, man, what in the world is he talking about? Don't worry about it. Just, just catch what, what, you, what you know he's talking about. There'll be enough clear. 
If you've got a study Bible, you know what you can do? You can take another five minutes and look down there at the bottom where they have study notes, and they tell you what he's saying when he refers to such and such a thing, some, some historical thing with the nation of Israel or whatever it is in that prophecy. But I'm telling you, there's stuff's going to jump off the page at you like we've already read today out of Isaiah about Jesus. The only way to nurture, the only way to grow in your relationship with Jesus is through a growing understanding and application of his word. Jesus alone gives counsel full of life-transforming, eternity-changing wisdom. He tells us of the necessity, the nature, and the nurture of a relationship with him. And hear me, folks, there is nothing more important anybody on this planet could ever say to you than those three things about that one relationship with him. Romans 11, at the end, and man, we're, 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 it's going to be months before we get there, but we're going to get there. And by the time we get there, you're going to understand how, why Paul wrote these words I'm about to read. Because he spent, he'll, by the time we get there, we'll have spent 11 chapters worth of unfolding the, God's beautiful plan of salvation in Jesus. And when he gets to the end of that chapter, here's what he says of his amazing plan, of, of the reason for Advent, of, of what it means that Jesus came and became one of us, became God with us. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Oh, no, you'll never counsel God, but he's a wonder. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. And you need him. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonder of a counselor. Do you need a wonder of a counselor in your life? You know, seriously, you may you may may be here today, and you have tried counselor after counselor with the problems and struggles of your own soul, and nobody can help you. Your despair, your desperation, your depression, whatever it might be, your struggle with addiction, whatever it might be, there is a counselor who is a wonder of a counselor. There is a counselor who, if you listen to his wisdom, it will change your life. It will change your eternity. Do you need wisdom that is life-transforming and eternity-changing? You may be here today and you may say, Preacher, you bet I do. My life's a wreck. And I have no clue what would happen if I died on the way home today? I have no, no idea what would happen if my heart quit beating like Gwen Holcomb's did this week. I don't know what eternity is like, will be like for me. Jesus can give you wisdom that will change your eternity and transform your life. He won't transform your life all at once. It won't be an overnight thing where every problem you've ever had is fixed, but it will be a growing thing. But let me tell you what will happen. Your eternity will be changed in a moment. And something about knowing what happens when you die, 
Something about having peace with God and knowing that when you die, you can stand before holy God and be accepted by Him. You can say that there is therefore now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. I'm wrapped in His righteousness. And when I die, I'll stand before God and be welcomed into glory. Somehow that has its own life-transforming effects, doesn't it? Being able to look ahead and say, I know where I'm going changes everything about time and the moments and days and months and years between here and there. Oh, won't you come to him today? Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. Jesus alone gives counsel full of life-transforming, eternity-changing wisdom. And hear me, Jesus is wonderful counselor. That's what Advent is all about. Maybe you're here today and you're, you've been his child years, decades. But you're not listening as regular to his wisdom as you once did. You and, you, you and your Bible are, are not as close as you once were. You're not spending the time you know, brother or sister in Christ, that you need to be spending in this book. I dare you. This Advent, between now and December the 25th, I dare you to do the Isaiah reading. Just, just, just that. Just do the Isaiah readings and see what happens between you and your Father. You know what I can promise you? You'll be closer to Him in 25 days. No question. Let's pray.